first met Margot Robbie when the world met Margot Robbie, which is when she broke forth in The Wolf of Wall Street, the Martin Scorsese movie. After that, she was nominated for an Academy Award, playing the doomed ice skater Tanya Harding in I, Tanya, And now she's co-starring in Bombshell, playing a composite character based on a lot of women that were mistreated by Roger Ailes at Fox News. She's a remarkable person. She has enormous charm, and you can't help but fall in love with her. Hi, my name is Lynn Hirschberg, and what is your name? My name is Margot Robbie. And this is my podcast, Five Things with Margot Robbie. Okay, so the first thing will be a person in your life mm -hmm. that's really made a huge impression on you or changed your life in some way mm -hmm. for the better or for the worse. So the first person who comes to mind, and I'm not sure why, but she's been a constant throughout my life, and it's my Aunt Mezzi. She's just maybe my favorite person in the world. I obviously adore my mom, and I adore a lot of people in my life, but... My Auntie Mezzi is something kind of special. She's got a really good laugh. I love people who have like that great laugh when they laugh. It kind of like makes you laugh. Uh -huh. She has one of those. You know, I just always remember being a kid and she'd always have a cigarette and a, a very Queensland drink to, you know, a Bundy rum and coke. And she'd sit there and do a crossword with her cigarette and her rum and coke. And I'd go sit with her and do a crossword with her. And I just, I don't know, she's just the best. And she... She does fivesies, so at five o'clock you always have cheese and crackers and she calls it fivesies and <laughs> she's just the best. She's just the best person I know. Did you grow up near her? Well, she's she lives in Dolby with my uncle Jamo and so our extended family is, you know, all in Dolby and I grew up on the Gold Coast. So that's about a three-hour drive oh, away. So, so it's Dolby's like a smaller country town, inland Queensland. The Gold Coast is a coastal town in Queensland and a, a much bigger city. I think it's like the sixth largest city in Australia. But that's where I grew up. JMO Mez have been really close in my life and they recently flew, so I flew them over to London for the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood premiere in London and Mezzi had never been to London. JMO hadn't been since he was like 20. And it was, you know, they arrived at 6 a.m. by 7 a.m., rum and coke. <laughs> <laughs> and we just sat, we sat on the balcony and she pulled out a crossword and had a rum and coke. And I was like, I just, I lo nothing has changed. I love, I love it in, in all my years. I feel like, yeah, she's just the same great Mezzi. Did you tell her you wanted to be, how old were you when you decided you wanted to be an actress? Mm, I don't know. You know, I had this conversation with my mom recently and she said, oh, do you remember the day that you told me you were going to be an actor? And I was like, no, that's, it feels like a pretty important moment and I don't remember it at all, but she remembers it. And I must, have, I must have said it when I was doing my first job, so I was 16. Of course, I loved movies my whole life, but I'd never considered doing acting as a job. I think my family were well aware that I was quite a performer when I was like a kid because I would constantly reenact movies. So you do a whole film? Mm -hmm. I would just watch the same videos we had, like we had, you know, X amount of videos at home and I'd just watch them on repeat no matter what they were. And then mum would be like cooking dinner or whatever and I would just be reenacting them and they would just go on and on and on and she'd be like, are you making this up? I'm like, no, it's in the movie. It's just like, <laughs> how do you remember it? <laughs> what was your favourite? There was a lot of Goldie Hawn films, but The Fifth Element was always my favourite movie. The Fifth Element and Robin Hood Men in Tights were like my two childhood movies. 
in hindsight, Robin Hood Men in Tights was maybe a little inappropriate to love at five years old because there's some kind of like sexual jokes in there. But um, it was like, I just loved it. And The Fifth Element I loved as well. And then, yeah, a whole long line of Goldie Hawn films, which I adored. Like Private Benjamin? Yeah, Private Benjamin. It's one of my absolute favorites. Yeah. That's a good one Third to reenact. And also she goes through a journey, so to speak. Mm, mm-hmm. So you could do lots of different moods. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it was tricky for the fifth element. There's like the when I'd reenact Special the effects. fight scenes, tricky yes. to do. Yeah, yes. a lot of like a lot of cartwheels in a small confined space, and yeah. <laughs> and is there a place that has huge impact on you? Yes, I would say. That, I mean, again, the first thing that pops into mind was the balcony, like the veranda at the house I grew up in which was in Currumbin Valley, again, on the Gold Coast. But it's like we lived in the hinterland, so it's very mountainous, but you've got also a 15-minute drive to the beach. It's kind of just a kind of magical place, which, of course, I didn't... I always knew it was a magical place and I always loved it. And then once I left Australia, of course, I realised just how special that kind of space is. But, the, yeah, I mean, our house was When you say the balcony, you mean, like, the view? The veranda, like, yeah, so I'd sit... It, cause, well, it wasn't a very big house... And there's lots of us in it, so I'd always, you know, sit out on the veranda and have a cup of tea and do my homework. Or I'd do my homework in a tree down behind the back paddock. But, yes, always always outside, and it was just, like, the most beautiful view. You can see the ocean from there, but you're up in the mountains and it would be misty and it would be just so, so beautiful. I I always kind of yearn for that little spot sitting on the veranda. Do you prefer to be in nature or in the city? Nature, for sure. But I've loved being in the city. I mean, when I moved to America when I was 20 and I got a job on a show called Pan Am. Which you reprise very memorably (laughs) once upon a time in Hollywood. Yes, I know. (laughs) I get it. It was so fun when Quentin, that's, that's the amazing thing about Quentin. Sorry to totally jump tracks, but his attention to detail and his, he'd watched everything I'd done before we met. And, you know, even Neighbours, even Pan Am, all of that. Even the screen test. Yeah. He watched all the screen tests did he really? I did with you. Yes. Oh, my goodness. He called me and said, these screen tests are really good. That's so, <laughs> so happy. He's just so thorough like that. He's really, like, detail-oriented. So he'd seen oriented. every episode of Pan Am. He'd watch all of Pan Am. He'd watched a bunch of Neighbours, which I was like, oh, goodness. Um, <laughs> please still give me the job because I obviously wasn't a very good actor back then. But, no, so so... There's a brief glimpse of a Pan Am stewardess in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and that is me. And you get to dance. And and I got to dance. Well, I, that's when I was being Sharon Tate on the Pan Am plane. But I actually played one of the Pan Am stewardesses. You just never saw my face. It's just my hands making a Bloody Mary for Leo, I think. Which is good. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. Did you bring out your own costume or did they get you a new Pan well, Am costume? Well, it was a different, this was in Once Upon a Time because it was 19, later. the later 60s. In the TV show Pan Am, it was 1963. I so they changed the, the uniform? The uniform was different, mm. yeah. So you were going to say when you moved to America and the, when you oh, were Oh, right. So, yeah, no, I mean, I was in a big city and I loved it. Yeah, I, I loved being a big, in a big city. But, no, I do prefer Because I know you disappear. From time to time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Got to get away. <laughs> yeah. The others, I mean, no, I've already said my spot. But if I was to say another, like, place, I have this tree house. It's not mine. I don't own it. Like, I... I you <laughs> borrowed the tree I house. I borrowed the tree house. <laughs> um, and it's kind of in... I, I won't say where because it's kind of like my secret spot. But if I ever need to go get away, I go to this tree house. And how high up is it? 
It's pretty high. Yeah, and you're, you're like, like by yourself? Up. Is it like a big area or just It's little? pretty small and it's way up in a tree and it's in a very, it's in the very middle of a country in Europe and it's super random. It's How did you nothing. find it? You don't have to say where. So, but. so I, I, I think Tom found it. Ah. I can't remember how he found it. But we went there. It's super remote and just kind of magical. And anytime it's all getting a bit much, I'm like, I need to go to the <laughs> tree. To go to the tree house. <laughs> I love that. And in the tree, how long do you stay in the tree? A couple days. A couple days? I mean, you can get up and down. You can, like, <laughs> you don't have to be up in the tree. But there's a bathroom and stuff up there. This is an elaborate tree house. It, it, it sounds elaborate, but it's really not. I mean, it's probably the size of the room we're sitting in right uh. now. It's not that big, but it's really... Deluxe. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. It's so fun. Do you watch that show, Treehouse? There's a show, a reality show, where they build tree houses no, for people. That's you have to watch it. Yes, wow, they build these houses. elaborate tree houses oh, for wow. people. It's on the on Animal Planet. Okay, great. And thing, meaning an art project or a movie or a book or something that was very impactful for you. Oh gosh. Okay, I was thinking more like what's something treasured to me, not something that's, that's impactful. Fine. Treasure's fine. Is that fine? Okay, yes, you're I'll allowed say, to do whatever. I'll say, <laughs> this is an open-ended <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I'll say, I'll say my bunny. My bunny I've had since I was born that I still sleep with every night. And what is your bunny's name? Bunny. Because, you know, when you're zero years old, I guess you're not that inventive with, with your names for your toys. And has Bunny gone, every, like, do you pack Bunny? Yeah. And does Bunny have a sock or something Bunny sleeps in in no. your suitcase? No, Bunny just, like, just kind of rolls wherever. <laughs> she's <laughs> she's um, kind of filthy by this point. Maybe, like, once a year, whenever my mom comes to visit, she'll, like, give her a bath and re-stitch her up wherever she's Aww. falling apart. <laughs> But Has again, your husband ever hidden the bunny? He always throws bunny out of the bed because he's like <laughs> he thinks it's obviously a, a tad ridiculous that I still sleep with bunny. Maybe he's a little jealous that bunny always gets like pride of place in the bed. He thinks I'm asleep and he'll throw bunny out of the bed and I get so cross with him. I'm like, don't you throw her out. Have the dogs ever gotten to bunny? Close. Belle, our pit bull, she destroys everything. <laughs> like the, her magnitude for destruction is quite astounding. She almost got bunny one time and I freaked out. I was like, no! She would eat, she would eat Bunny in a minute. She can eat rocks, she can eat like anything. It's just insane. And does Bunny come on set or Bunny stays no, home? No, no. I'd be too embarrassed not to see Bunny. And also in case she got lost. I can't imagine the day if I ever, no, I can't even talk about it. No, it'd be awful. No. What? Two events. Let's hear the first event in your life that had, uh, you know, was had meaningful impact. in some way. Sure, sure. Okay, so it can be in a bad way too. It can be well, like, it kind of is in a bad way, okay. a bad slash interesting way. Exactly. But it was definitely a profound moment, and it was when I found out that Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy and the Easter Bunny aren't real. And when was that? Last week? Yeah, it was a few <laughs> weeks ago, and I'm still caught up about it. No, um, I think I, I mean I must I was a kid or whatever, maybe eight or something, and Someone must have been saying it at school, in the schoolyard, and I'd, I'd come home and asked my mum, you know, the girls at school said Santa isn't real. Like, tell me that's not true. She was like, that's true. Santa isn't real. 
And then it dawned on me, wait, if sand is not real, then the Easter Bunny, and then the Tooth Fairy, and they like, it was kind of like a domino effect of, and then I was just, it was such a profound moment because I was just, I, I remember sitting there thinking, adults are diabolical. <laughs> the extent they will go to to lie is crazy. Like I was really like every adult I know has been lying, every teacher I know, the people on the news who at Christmas time are like, and Santa Claus is making his way over the Southern Hemisphere right now. I'm like, even the news is lying? Wow, they're all in on this massive lie and they're so good and convincing. <laughs> I think that was my first taste of becoming a little cynical after that. I kind uh, of, there was always that voice in my brain after that that was like, don't believe everything you hear because uh, adults lie <laughs> and the and news when you had, lies. And when you had Christmas, did you feel the presents weren't quite so remarkable? Yeah, or? it was devastating. But um, <laughs> also I had a younger brother, so I was keeping the myth alive. And then, you know, I was in on the lie as well. So it was a very strange kind of, it was profound in a way. Yeah, really, it was more about I, I just never looked at adults and grown-ups the same again. And yet when you have children, will you lie? Probably. <laughs> because now I look back and I'm like, well, Santa was the greatest thing. I wish I could have kept believing in Santa forever. <laughs> I, I, actually, I love the lie, so yeah, I'll probably do the same thing. And Tooth Fairy for sure. Tooth Fairy for sure. For I mean, sure. I thought Tooth Fairy was the greatest thing ever. When right. my mother would forget, I would be really upset. My mom would ask our babysitters to, like, write notes so the handwriting wouldn't be recognisable from the Tooth Fairy. So wow. I had these, like, little notes from the Tooth Fairy. Wow. And your mom yeah. was good. I know. That's what I mean, though. But I was like, wow, they've, like, really gone to great lengths to keep this lie going. <laughs> that's a lot. That, that's but actually But it was magical, impressive. too. It was also, like, you know, it was awesome. And it's amazing that she told you straight away. I thought that too. In later years, I thought, oh, I wonder why she didn't even try and keep it going. Yeah, like she if she could have like, maybe come up with one or two. I mean, she's got four kids. She must have been like, great, look, if you all, st <laughs> the sooner you all realize this, <laughs> the more economical it would be for me. Because Did you have anyone dressing up as Santa Claus too? No, we didn't. Oh, I have see. That. You just had the general. We didn't have that. We'd leave like the cookie out and the. You left cookies out. Yeah, the carrot out and, and the glass of milk and all that. And then they Some, took it all away. She would half eat it, I suppose. <laughs> I mean, it had to have been her. <laughs> your mom is good, though, I have yeah. to say. Yeah, she You took your mom to the Oscars. I remember seeing you with your mom at the Oscars. You I looked amazing. Did. did she have a good time? She had the best time ever. Do you know what's so funny? She had an amazing time, but there was this one point I was caught in conversation, and I was very, like, you know, I wanted to make sure she felt okay and had a yeah. good time, but at the same time kind of, like, got the vibe, like, you know, leave people alone. It's their night to, you know, yeah. to, you know, be cool about it. There's a lot yeah. of famous people here, but be cool about it, yeah. you know. And I wasn't sure how she'd kind of react in a room full of famous people. And at some point I was talking to someone and I turned around and she was talking to Nicole Kidman, uh -huh. who I hadn't worked with at the time. So I didn't really know on the level I know her right now. But I remember being like, Mom, I was like hissing at her. I was like, leave Nicole alone. And she was like, she's like, she... She called me over and I was like, what do you mean? How, she doesn't know you. She was like, I don't know. She must have asked someone what my name is because she said, hi, sorry. And she, she talked to me first. I would never have gone up, Margot. I really wouldn't have. My mom's so sweet and I felt really bad. I was like, oh, wow, that's so nice of Nicole to have asked someone what my mom's name is. And then I guess knowing that she was a fellow Aussie just wanted to make her feel comfortable at the Oscars, I suppose. <laughs> it was such a sweet, it was a sweet thing. And another incident in your life that was memorable for whatever reasons? 
Since we're on the topic of the Oscars, I would say that same Oscars was probably one of the most amazing, one of the most amazing moments of my life when Frances McDormand was on stage and she just won. And we were all in a category together. There was Frances, there was Meryl Streep, Saoirse Ronan, Sally Hawkins and myself. And Nice company. Yeah, I mean, couldn't have been in amongst a group of actors that I adore more so and, and, and just admire. So yeah, that was kind of like the highest praise to, to even be considered in the same the same category as them. It was such a cool moment, and I don't know if you remember it, but Frances, while doing her speech, asked us all to stand up. Yeah. And we all kind of shared the moment together, and it was the nicest feeling in the world. Like, it was way better than, like, if I'd won. It, it felt better than that. It yeah. was, It was, of course, in the height of the Me Too movement that year, and there was just a sense of unity amongst us women that I'd, I'd never felt to that extent before. So for it to happen at that time when there was already this feeling of like unity and camaraderie was just really, really powerful and really amazing. And I think it cut to an ad break straight afterwards. And we were standing there and we all like kind of looked at each other, mm. you know, 20 meters apart or whatever. And we all just kind of immediately went to each other and hugged and, and it was just... It's so great. such a great moment just standing there hugging them. I, I was, I will never forget that. It was That's so amazing. amazing. And it's nice because women can be very tough. You know, it's a competitive room. Yeah, but there was nothing about it felt yeah. competitive at all. I remember thinking that like when I was younger and I'd watch something like yeah. the Oscars on TV and, and they always cut to someone else. Losing. Um, losing. Yeah. And I'm, I I always thought, oh, gosh, how how awful must it feel in that room right now being like, oh, no, I want, you know, I always assumed there would be this competitive air about it. But even before that, that Oscars, when I've been to previous ones, I've never felt a competitive air in the room. It has always felt like everyone's chance to go up to each other and tell them how much they love their movie from that year or 20 years ago or whatever. And I just... I feel like there's a lot of like appreciation and admiration for each other in the room as opposed to something competitive. I don't know, maybe I've got rose-tinted glasses on when I'm going, but <laughs> that's how it's always felt to me and it never felt that way on TV. When I watched it on TV, I always thought, ooh, how cutthroat. And then, no, being there in the room, all you see is everyone walking, you know, going up to each other because they've worked with each other or they know each other or they've never met before and they just want to tell so-and-so how much they love them and it's just, it's really cool. When you did Bombshell, did you know Charlize before you started the movie? I know you knew Nicole a little bit. Yeah, I, I think. And did you overlap when you're filming or were you mostly by yourself? No, I, I had scenes with both of them. The elevator. The elevator scene. That was our only scene altogether, but I had It's a great scene. I had a pretty, maybe one of my heaviest scenes I had with, Chan, um, with Chanel. <laughs> with Charlize. And, um, or Chanel. And, I, yeah. and my first day of shooting, I had a bunch of scenes with Nicole. Right, because you worked for Nicole initially. Yes, exactly. Yes. So, And that was my first day of shooting on the film. And I remember thinking, holy shit, that's why she's Nicole Kidman. Mm-hmm. Because she, like the second they called action, she just became this crazy presence, like a, like really... I couldn't take my eyes off her. Like everything she said, even if it wasn't a a terribly profound line, it just suddenly felt like powerful. And I was like, whoa. It was so cool to witness firsthand. I remember thinking, okay, I get it. I get why she is who she is because that is magical. And then likewise, when I had my scene with 
Charlize later in the shoot, it was just like, she's just powerful. She's just a powerhouse. This one, my other really heavy scene where I'm on the phone with Kate McKinnon's character and it's really emotional and I kind of break down in that moment. Kate had to get on a plane to get back for SNL. Her, her schedule was, you know, crazy. And so I wasn't going to have someone else on the other line of the phone to do that scene. And we'd already shot Kate's side the day before. And so they were like, oh, you know, Jay was saying, our director was saying, okay, I can get like the script supervisor maybe to kind of read the lines. or And, and I was like, okay, sh- sure. Or I can just pretend them in my head or, you know, it's fine. We'll, we'll figure it out sort of thing. Charlize, who wasn't working at all that day, it's 10 o'clock at night, the night before Thanksgiving. I mean, she's got kids and stuff. She's there on set doing off-camera dialogue for me so that I could do that scene. I was like, what a woman. (laughs) What a woman. And like giving it everything, not just like reading lines, like really being in the scene with me. And I was so blown away by that. All right, well, I think we're, we're done. Cool. It wasn't that fun? It was great. Thank you for listening to W Magazine's Five Things with me, Lynn Hirschberg. Today's podcast was produced by Cheyenne Asadi and Michael Beckert. Recorded by Destiny Ferrant with post-production by The Hangar Studios. The theme song is sung by Robin Shore and written by Robin Shore and Jacob Faturechi. Special thanks to Sarah Moonvez, Megan Moss, and Milk Studios LA. Subscribe to be the first to hear new episodes of Five Things. And for more from W Magazine, follow us at WMag on Instagram and W Magazine on YouTube, where you can see my screen tests and ASMRs. And Zora, you have to sit down. La la la